Welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. My name is Trevor Bohm and I will be your host. Every week or so, I try to get myself a fascinating human on the mic for you, someone who looks at the civilized world just like you do and says no thank you. Someone who wants to break some rules, to lead, and to bring their unique vision into the world. Someone for whom the status quo simply will not do. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. Please dive in. Hey folks, welcome back to the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Traver Bohm, your host, coming in live from Arvada, Colorado. If you are a new listener, welcome to the podcast. If you are a repeat listener, I really, really want you to know how much I appreciate your support, your help getting the word out. Uh, again, this year, the podcast is growing. I keep looking at the podcast titans like Connor Beaton and Ryan Mickler and Joe Rogan and thinking, wow, I will get there. Uh, this podcast will get there and it is getting there with all of the help and support of you guys. So I love you and thank you so much. And today I have one of my good friends coming in, Mr. Sylvester McNutt. Sly and I have been in a men's group for a number of years and we actually recorded a podcast, I think a year and a half ago, but it was in the midst of COVID and BLM turmoil and riots and all the things. And we just decided that we were both reactionary in it. It probably wouldn't have been the best thing to release but we got back together and we wanted to chat this time about the creative process, about like taking that leap from corporate to being an artist and how fatherhood has had a huge impact on Sly. Now, Sly has written nine books. You guys hear that? Nine books. This man has written nine books. That's in itself. I can be like, that's it. But he's also got a, a, a toddler. He's also got a thriving relationship. He's also highly athletic and keeps himself in great shape. He's got a great view on the world. So I wanted to bring Sly in and have him share a little bit about his journey, right? About becoming an unlikely author in a family where that wasn't a thing, in a community where that wasn't a thing. He was from the South side of Chicago and is now just crushing life. So if, if you are a man, or even if you are married to a man and have kids, like give this a listen as he really breaks down what he had to go through to break out of the conventional mold and really, really thrive as a man, as an author. And again, stick around for the end because he talks about how fatherhood has shifted a lot of his views and a lot of what he wants to do and a lot of what he's able to do. I joke about it on the podcast with him, but every week we get on a, a call with a number of men and Sly's always like, my boy is kicking my ass. <laughs> so he, he's real honest. He doesn't pull any punches in this. And I know you're going to get a ton of gems out of it. And now guys, if you are also following along, you know that my kill the nice guy course is just blowing up right now. And if you're, if you're relating to being a nice guy of, of keeping your voice small, of not playing your game in the world, of letting people walk all over you, of not feeling confident in your relationships or when you're dating, please check out manuncivilized.com forward slash kill the nice guy and get enrolled in that course. This thing is, it's almost as big as Man Uncivilized at this point, and we're just getting started. All right, without further ado, my good friend and brother, Sylvester McNutt. Sly, welcome to Uncivilized Podcast. It is a pleasure to have you on, brother. Uh, this has been a long time coming. Yeah, man. It's awesome to be here. Thank you know, you. it's interesting. I don't know if you remember, but we recorded a few years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, we didn't share it, you know, because it was, I felt like it was one of those conversations where 
we really just really got to know each other, you know, yeah. and it just felt more sacred to keep it for ourselves. For sure. So I'm glad just, that we're able to share now. Yeah. And it was such a tumultuous time, right? Culturally, it feels like we've come out of a bit of that. So for, for people who don't know you or haven't found your books, would you mind giving a, like a quick one minute, like, what do you write about? You're, you're probably the most prolific author I know. Well, you asked me to do one minute quick. The hurdle <laughs> in me is like, hold on, buddy. <laughs> Don't put that boundary on me. Um, <laughs> You're a guy who's written up. nine books and I ask you to be quick. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? If I had to sum it up quickly, I will say in one sentence, my goal is to help people free their energy. Hmm. Say a little, say, say a couple more sentences about that. Like, how did that come about? Was that something? Why is that important to you? Yeah, so that's definitely the transformation that I went through. Okay. And so, you know, we look back on our family systems and we all have some type of origin story. Mm-hmm. And uh, my origin story, there was a lot of love. There was a lot of generational gifts. You know, my mother was a highly intelligent woman. My father was very disciplined, uh, had an army background. Had a jujitsu black background. He was a black belt. You know, he he in karate, uh, went to the army, held guns. You know, just just your typical man. You know, yeah. but what happened in my in my in my origin story is alcohol came into the play, mm. and it came in when their relationship was very rocky. So it took yeah, it just it just escalated things. Mm. And so for my origin story, there was some some abuse, some physical abuse. There was a manipulation, you know, mm-hmm. mindset abuse. Yeah. Uh, and so for me, you know, as a consequence of that, my my energy was tapped up into that story and everything that comes with that, you know? So I was fighting a lot when I was in high school, being very aggressive with other boys, you know, when they're saying jokes, I'm like, no, nah, it's not a joke. We're going to fight, you know? Mm-hmm. So my energy was trapped, you know, in the anger and in the pain and in my story. So for me, like, I really just had to, like, reclaim myself and, and free my own energy. Mm-hmm. So that, that was my transformation, and that's what I, I try to help people with, is just free, free their energy from whatever story. It could be a present story, past story, uh, a story about what you can't do, who you can't be. I just, I just try to encourage people to find the truth. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, brother. How did, how did that transition start for you? Like, was there a day where you're like, all right, I'm done with this. This isn't serving me. Or was there an incident or some kind of, what was the catalyst for you to actually make that transformation within yourself? Yeah, man, I think it started, it probably started in the high school. Like my sophomore year of high school, I think is when it started. I was uh, supposed to be getting expelled. Oh, wow. And yeah, it, it was, so here's the thing. I was an honor student i was an a student but i was getting a's and f's mm. and you know that anytime you see someone getting a's and f's as there's a problem right like, and so my problem is i just couldn't apply myself like i couldn't focus you know if i if i could go to class and be there is is easy work right but you know my mind was so caught up in you know just think about the fear of knowing that when you go home you might get your ass beat by one of your drunk parents Right. So it's like living every day, you're walking on eggshells. And so, you know, in my freshman and sophomore year of high school, I had over 40 days of suspension. Wow. And yeah, man, that was it was too much. And the last the last week of finals, this kid, uh, I won't say his name, but I remember his name. I was sitting at lunch by myself, introvert life, trying to just mind my business. And 
you know, I know you're, you know, you're a little bit older than me. So I know that you remember CD Walkmans, you know? So yeah, I used to have a CD Walkman with the headphones, with the wire, right? And uh, so I'm sitting there just listening to some music. This kid comes from behind me, grabs the headphones off my head and just like pulls them back. And so mm. the wire went and, you know, it's, it started here. And instantly, like, I just reach behind me and just, like, flip this kid over onto the mm-hmm. table and just start pummeling, pummeling mm-hmm. him. Pure self-defense. Like, he literally blindside attacked me. And, um, you know, we're in the room, and, and they're about to suspend me after that. It was uh, my superintendent, uh, my assistant principal, my mom. They called my mom in. And they're just like, hey, you know, this behavior is unacceptable. Uh, you know, you're too violent. Uh, we don't want you in this school. We're worried about you. Although you're a smart kid, you know, we can't have this type of behavior. And so my assistant principal is the one who really fought for me. Her name is Mrs. Schmidt. And she was just like, we can't get rid of this kid. He's too smart. He's too bright. Like we have to keep him in this school. And she was fighting for me. And that was a, that was really the turning moment is when my assistant principal was fighting for me. You know, we all need somebody to fight for us. Right. And when she was in that room, when the superintendent went to kick me out and she was fighting for me, it, I couldn't really explain at the time what it did for me, mm. but it just showed me uh, a love. It just showed me the uh, desire to be wanted, to be craved, to be needed, you know, and her sticking up for me made me not want to let her down, you know. And so they just mm. said, they're like, hey, what what can you do? What can mm. we do to make this better for you? And. You know, I was I played peewee football and that was always like such a joy for me. Uh, But because of my parents breaking up and getting back together, uh, my freshman and sophomore year, I couldn't play sports because I didn't even start on time because I was living Mm -hmm. with my grandmother. So I told them I was like, yeah, this is my sophomore year and my sophomore year. I said, look, I just need to play sports, man. Mm -hmm. Like, I just need to play sports. I just need to play football. I just need to be on the wrestling team. I need to do track like I can't be going home. Like mm. I need to do something else, mm-hmm. I, you know? So, bro, they got me on the football team. They got me signed up that day. They got me on with the track coach. And that completely changed my life. Not only was it having something to compete for uh, in the athletics, in the training, in the discipline, but it was also having those men around, you know, mm-hmm. being around my football coaches, being around my track coaches who – at this point, they had families. They went to college. Some of them were professional athletes. Obviously, they're professional teachers now. So just like being around that good male leadership uh, and being around sports and athletics, that's what completely changed my life. It was If I had to go to a moment, it was that moment when I was supposed to get expelled. And my assistant principal was like, no, you're not getting expelled. We're going to ch- change your life. Wow, that's amazing. Like- God bless the the woman who stood up for you and and saw the potential in you and was willing to stand up for you. Did anybody at that point Sly ask like hey you're obviously getting A's there's you're not you're not dumb it's not a like a that's not the challenge did anybody ask hey is there something else going on in your life or is that like not even an issue back then? Yeah man I got to give props to my assistant principal Mrs. Schmidt and uh my counselor Mike Hernan at my high school like they went above and beyond their job title. And like so many teachers do, so many people in our public institutions go above and beyond, right. you know? And like, when I see them on Twitter saying, hey, I need to be getting paid more, I'm like, hell yeah, you do. Yeah. Because look, I, I, look, is every teacher a good teacher? No, but there are some teachers who are excellent, who are great, 
you know, and my counselor and my assistant principal went above and beyond for me. Even like my football coaches, like, for example, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. I remember one of my football coaches paid for my own yearbook out of his money. Mm-hmm. I remember another time it was really, really cold outside and one of my coaches drove me home. He didn't have to do that. He said, hey, let me drive you home. I know you walk home. Let me drive you home. So, I mean, for me, it was just the leadership in my school like really, really helped me turn things around when I didn't have what I needed at home. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, man. God, again, God bless him for, for doing that for you. Sly, when was the first time you wrote something and realized that, okay, I may be able to hit people on a football field, but like my real gift is going to be with the written word? <laughs> oh, man, that's a good question. That's a good question. So <laughs> I used to always, you know, growing up, I used to always write poetry to my, my girlfriends or just girls I would like or, or whatever. I would just write like, you know, corny poetry. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I would go, I would read it to him. I would give it to him. You know, like we would always pass notes back and forth. I know you yeah. remember that passing notes to girls. You, yeah, you, yeah, she yeah. writes you a long letter, you get it. <laughs> and like you write back, hold it up like a little football, give it to her, you know, like that, that's what I was on back in the, in the nineties, two thousands, you know? So really my writing was really like part of the reason why I always write about love is because one that always made me feel good. And then two, you know, when I first started writing, I felt like there was a lack of it. So I felt like I was trying to bring it into my life more and write about, you know, love and things of that nature. I would say the first time that I realized it was like good is I was dating this girl in college and I wrote her some, you know, some I wrote her some letters and she started crying. She's like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Wow. And I was just like, wow, like, okay, damn. I must be okay, man. Yeah. Yeah. Did that, so that, at that it, time, was there, a, was there a thought, though, about, like, I may write publicly or I may write a book? Or was it just like, cool, I got a no way sir. to meet girls now? <laughs> no, sir. At that time, the only my writing vessels were writing love letters to the girl I was dating sure. and then just journaling about my experience. It was all private. It was all private. When I went to college, I studied communication. So we, we had to do a bunch of essays. and Sure. Um, you know, we would have to get up there and present our writings. We would have to, we were training for public speaking, uh, you know, because that's what you do as a communications major. But I never, re- I guess I never really thought about it like, okay, I'm going to share my stuff one day. Yeah. You know, it kind of just happened through actually going to college, kind of the cl- the classes I was taking. You know, I remember we would have presentation day where we had to come in there and speak in front of 50 people. And it was never, you know, it was never like nerve wracking. There was a little anxiety like, oh man, this is crazy. Cause just a few years ago, I never shared this stuff. And now I'm in class with a professor. And yeah. So I would say college kind of started to bring it out of me. Okay. Was it ushered at that point? Like, did someone in college say, Hey man, this is really good. It's, it's too good to just be love notes or it's too good to just be an essay. Like you really have a gift on your hands here that the world, the world needs. Was there any aspect of that or, and if yeah. not, how did you then decide to start sharing stuff publicly. Yeah, that exact conversation happened. Uh, my friend Will was over at my house. Now this, just from a time frame perspective is, I go to high school, I go to college, I, I play football in college, walked onto the team, uh, played three years of, of professional arena football. Oh, wow. And then at this point, I had started doing, um, working in corporate America, doing sales, doing sales leadership, sales management. And so 
it wasn't really aligned with me. It didn't really fit me. You know, I went, I did the best I could. And, you know, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Try to, you know, try to do the best that I could. But that vessel for me, just, it was just too constrictive, man. It just, it just, it just held me down. It held my soul down. They wanted all my time and they wanted all my energy and just all my dedication. And I just, it just wasn't right for me. And the number one thing that I kept doing was writing. You know, I was Mm. writing journals. I was writing, I was actually writing books at this point, but it wasn't like I wasn't publishing the books yet. I was just kind of writing different books. It would be like a 40 page book, a 50 page book. And so my buddy was at my house. We were having some drinks. This is 2000, 2011. And he was like, hey, uh, I can't remember what he asked for, but he had to go in my room for some reason. And so he goes in my room and he looks in the corner and he sees like a stack of notebooks. Now we're a few years removed from college. So of course he's going to be like, why do you have all these damn notebooks? Yeah. So he came back out in the living room and asked like, Hey, what's going on with all these notebooks? And of course, like I tried to hide it at first. I was like, Hey man, don't worry about that. Come on out of there. Why did you even go in there? You know, the bathroom's over there or whatever. Right. <laughs> right, right. And he's just like, no, no, no. Like what's, what's going on? Like, what are these notebooks? Like you have like, 20 notebooks in your bedroom but that's not normal like what's going on i'm like yeah man they're just my notebooks you know my poems my songs you know just everything and he was like can you read me something i'm like nah bro stop <laughs> i'm not reading you yeah. anything and it's just me and him at the house he's like man he's like get off that shit slide just read me something man i'm like all right bro i'll read you something so i ended up reading him something and it was that moment he was like yeah bro you got to get He's like, mm-hmm. you can't just keep this. Mm-hmm. He says, he said to me, these were his exact words. He said, imagine, you know, I'm dedicated. I'm working hard. He says, imagine if you went as hard for yourself, as hard as you go for those people. Wow. You get up, you give everything you can to that job. You give over a hundred percent to that job. And yeah. he was like, imagine if you did that for yourself. Mm-hmm. Imagine if you did that for your gift. And I sat with it, sat with it that night, and I was like, "Yeah, he's he's right." And at that point, though, I didn't really know like what I was gonna do, like I, like how to yeah get it out there. Sure, but I followed the call, man. I, I left that job about a year and a half later. Wow, it's been on ever since. That's all, what almost ten years ago. Oh, ten years ago, yeah. Wow, yeah. There's chills here and that. It's like the there are people who come in at unique times and kind of redirect or direct you that's awesome so i tell me about the first time you published the book and like what was the process for you what were some of the obstacles and the reason i'm asking is a lot of the listener base here is in transition or wants to be in transition or is really scared of of kind of doing taking that leap of faith that you took so we can say like yeah and a year and a half later i quit the job and it's been on ever since but i imagine there's been a lot of work you had to do around faith, around belief and structurally around like, I got to, I got to sell these things. So can you, can you kind of walk us back through to perhaps the day you decided to leave corporate America? And then the day you're like, all right, I'm hitting publish on this thing. And it's either, it's either, you know, people are going to love it or they're not. Yeah. Yeah. So my mindset, especially at that time was, you know, I didn't have any kids at that point in my life. Just, I think I was like 25 or 26. So mm. young guy, you know, I was making some good money. I was making like 60, 70 K. That's cool. Right. Uh, 
So I didn't really want to walk away from the job because it was a lot of money. Like I just left college and yeah. you know, I'm almost making a hundred K. Like I, I knew in a couple of years I'd be making a hundred K, you know, and at that time, if you remember, like you made a hundred K at that point, you were good, you you're good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were Especially good. New so, kids. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't really want to leave my job, but you know, I remember when I got a little bit more serious about the idea, I went back to Chicago and where I'm from originally and started just kind of telling my friends and family, like, yeah, I think I'm gonna leave this job. You know, I want to be a writer full time. And it was just hate. It was just all oh, writers don't make any money and da 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 da. You know, which is understandable, you mm-hmm. know, which is understandable. I was just like, yo, like, it's not even about the money. It's just about the fact that my soul is getting crushed. Mm. And I'm waking up in depression every day, going to a job I hate in a relationship that I don't that I don't like, which yeah. means I don't even like myself. Right. Like the the two things that you spend the most time in, you don't like either one of them. Mm. Or that means you don't like who you are in that moment because you're choosing things. That you didn't need, that you don't even like. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to keep being disloyal to myself like that, mm. you know? So what I did was I kind of leaned on some of my prior expertise, which was being an athlete. Went back and got a, a personal training certificate through NASM and started training on Saturday mornings. Now, my, my mindset with this was, hey, I don't necessarily want to be a personal trainer forever. I just need side income. So I could leave my corporate job and build up my book business. That that was kind of my mindset. One thing I also did was I made sure that my cost of living was as low as possible. I didn't have Netflix. I didn't go out. I didn't do restaurants. Like my my cost of living was very, very low. Mm. So I could save up as much money as possible. So when I quit my job, I had about $40,000 saved up. So I knew that that was going to cover me for at least one full year, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, before I quit the job, I put my first book out on, on Amazon. Now, it's crazy because I would be walking around. You know, you know, I, I noticed people would take cigarette breaks. You know, they take a whole yeah. bunch of cigarette breaks at work. I'm like, well, they can just take as many cigarette breaks as they want. I'm like, well, I don't smoke, but <laughs> shit, I'm just going to go to the bathroom as much as they go. You know, because if you don't, it's crazy how corporate America, if you don't smoke cigarettes, you can't get the breaks. But if you smoke <laughs> cigarettes, you, you can get breaks. That's crazy to me. So what I would do is every time somebody would take a cigarette break and they would come back, I would go to the bathroom and I would go in the bathroom, obviously lock the door and I would pull out my phone. And so my first book, I wrote it on my cell phone. Wow. So I would write it on my phone. Yeah, I would write it on my phone. In the bathroom. In the bathroom. Right. <laughs> I would just be in there for like 10 minutes working on working on. Because when you got the ideas in your head, you got to right. get them out. It don't right. matter what you're doing. You either remember it or you get it out. You get it out. And then, yeah. So then when I would get home at night, I would open my MacBook and then I would take what I wrote and then reorganize it into the book structure. So it was like, I was fully committed. So here's what happened. Funny story. I put the first book out on Amazon. I just put some generic cover on there. Like I just did it all myself. I first self-published my first book, just did it all myself, put it on Amazon. Didn't know what I was doing. You know, I didn't know about like the bleed, the spine, like, (laughs) <laughs> nothing. I didn't know nothing, uh, but I just did it. And so, you know, I was proud. So I'm like carrying my book around with me. So I'm at work <laughs> one day and this customer is like, Hey, what book is that? And I just started talking about it. Like a yeah. salesman, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is accelerated. The success is a choice. It's a former professional athlete. Uh, and he's just talking about how he became successful, which is literally like true. It's true. Yeah, this it's is true. true. Yeah. Um, and the guy's like, yeah, where'd you get that from? I was like, yeah, I got it from Amazon. I was like, you could just buy this copy if you want. Just, you know, yeah. throw me 10 bucks. He was yeah. like, all right, cool. 
God gives me $10. So my very first book sale came from when I was at my corporate job, uh, you know, while I was selling it to a customer. Mm-hmm. So the guy comes back in like a week later. And he's like, hey, man, you got more of these books? This guy is great. This is yeah. awesome. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got another one coming on the way. Now, keep in mind, there was nothing on the way. Right. <laughs> you know, if you know sales, you always got to guarantee your customers something. I might right. not have what you need. It's not in stock, but we got something coming, right? So he kind of like lit that fire under me. He was like, yeah, I need, I need another one. I need the second book. Mm. So then I was like, my brain started turning then. And I was like, okay, like I started, see, I, I was lucky because I was around a lot of entrepreneurs when I was younger. Mm. So I started thinking about scale immediately. I'm like, yo, I can't just, I can't just, uh, you know, do one sale like this. Like I need to be able to get more sales. So I didn't have any social media at all. I never used social media. I hated it. And it, I kind of just thought about it. I was like, man, what if I just take the pages of my book and just put them online? Wonder if that will work. Mm. nobody was doing that like there was no authors that was doing doing that so the first app i downloaded was uh instagram mm-hmm. and this was like 2012 it had just came out it was, it was new so i was like all right fuck it man i'm gonna put my personal training stuff on here maybe i'll find me some phoenix clients and i'm just gonna put my books on here and that's that i started my instagram right then and there and that was like the catalyst for me sharing to the world, quote unquote, like that, that really kicked it off. That's such an awesome story. I hope someone, you know, cause I, I'm sure you get it too. the, like, well, how, how do you, I want to write a book. What do I do? And I'm literally now going to be like, Hey, there's this method. Uh, every time <laughs> it's, it's, it's tried and true. Every time someone takes a cigarette break at work, you got to go in the bathroom and type your ass off for 10 minutes and then tell a story it about it. That's, that's incredible, man. Hope you guys are loving this conversation with Sly. I love him as a human and as a man and, and really emulate how he's living. Dude wrote nine books. Uh, again, for you nice guys, if you want to check out this course or if you are someone who knows a nice guy, please send them to manuncivilized.com forward slash kill the nice guy. It's time to get your confidence back, guys. It's time to find your power in the world. It's time to have healthy boundaries, to be okay with conflict, and to thrive in every relationship in your life. All right, back to Sly. Did you get the kind of, like, you've written so many. Did you get the kind of feedback that you wanted, or what was it about the process that you went, okay, this is my thing, or this is my thing for a while? And I ask, because yeah. a lot of people write a book, and then they're done. They're like, hey, I did the thing. I wrote the, I, I'm, I'm a writer. I wrote my book. I shared the one message I wanted to share. What what drove you to keep writing and keep writing and still drives you to keep writing and keep writing? Because you could stop now and you'd still be far more prolific than I'd say 90% of writers on the planet. Yeah, man. I, I just think in life, your goals, your goals and your lifestyle, your perspective, the things you want kind of change and shift. And so I had, I would say that I still had that fire, you know? And whenever you just got something in you, burning you, you just you just keep going. That's why if you look at certain athletes, you'll see a guy have multiple MVPs and multiple championships. Like sometimes you do the one and that doesn't satisfy you because you also it's like I think about my prime. I'm in my prime right now. I'm not going to be able to do this forever from a just from a brain perspective, from a, my body, you know, my shoulders, my glutes, just everything from when you're sitting down typing or whatnot. You know, I'm in my prime right now. So I got to, I got to use the prime. 
you know, I'll tell you a big difference though, is I'm working on my 10th book now and it's a completely different process because this one is going, I have an agent now Mm -hmm. and it's going to uh, one of the big five publishing companies and we're working on a proposal. Mm -hmm. So this is a lot more quote unquote professional. Um, It's also a a lot slower. The pace is a lot slower. It's kind of like, I feel like when you first kind of are learning how to shoot a gun, you're, you have a lot of anxiety. You're thinking, you're like, okay, let me aim. Let me focus. Where's my finger? Where's, what's my, where's my hit? You know, you're really thinking about your form. That's what writing the first book is. It's like, you're really learning your form. But then you think about someone who's 10 years into shooting guns. They can, they can, they can load it with their eyes closed. They can take it apart and clean it with their eyes closed. Right. You could, they know where the targets are, you know? So it's, that's where I'm at now. It's like, I'm more of a sniper now. You know, I think at first I was, you know, uh, I would have had the machine gun, just, right. <laughs> you know, just letting it go. Like, put the book out, put the book out, put the book out. Now it's not like that. Now it's like, okay, I need to be a sniper. I need to hit the right shot. I need to use one shot, you know? So I think that some people's problem, though, is they want to be a sniper right away. Mm-hmm. You got to you gotta get your handgun right. You got to get your, <laughs> your grenades right. Yeah. You know, you got to do your first aid. You got to got to learn the process before you can can be a sniper i didn't know i was going to do an army analogy today but i'm sure our it, it works get that yeah we got a yeah. lot of military guys on here okay so are you open to sharing what the 10th book's about or is it yeah i mean yeah i could share um I, I feel a little bit more inclined to tell you about the one that's currently out sure, right please, now please, please, the ninth please. book sure especially for men i mean the title is called loving yourself properly mm-hmm. and so it literally is a question on that it's like what does that mean for you what does that mean for your life? Because we always hear, oh, self-love. Yeah. Right. And then as men, sometimes we reject it. We're like, man, shut up. Like, what are you talking about? But no, it's like, what does it mean? So one of the things I realized in the book is the number one thing that stops us from self-love is shame. Whenever, whenever shame is present, love is absent. When love is here and it, you can acknowledge it, shame is gone. You know, so that was my biggest invitation in the beginning of the book was to invite the reader to really examine those shame wounds and the stories around shame. You know, like, for example, bro, I could come on here right now and tell you when I was 14 years old, I used to pee in the bed. A freshman in high school, I used to pee in the bed. Is that embarrassing? Hell yeah, it's embarrassing. Of course it is. (laughs) Could you imagine being 14 years old and, you know, being around other 14 year old boys and one of them find out that you pee in the bed? Oh man, it's over for you. You're done. Yeah. (laughs) You're done. (laughs) Could you imagine girls finding out? Oh my goodness. The embarrassment, right? Right. But I have no problem sharing that story now because one, I have no shame around it. I understand why that young boy was peeing in the bed. Mm. It's because he was in a house full of trauma. Right. And so he feared every night, he feared that he would be woken up into some pain or into some war. So then when you when you kind of come look at it from your adult body, you're like, oh, wow, I can release the shame in that story. Mm. So that's what I'm looking to do with this book is really get people to release their shame. Wow. Because and when you have that love in your heart, when you're just loving the life that you have, not saying it's perfect, not saying there's not problems. But when you're holistically loving the life you have, it's nothing better. It's nothing better. Did you write that book for men, Sly, or was it was that a thought? Uh, you and I are in a men's group, so I, I know that's it's it could be front and center for you, or was it just more for the general population of you see that across the board? Man, I wrote it for myself. To be oh. honest with you. I wrote the book that I needed, mm-hmm. you know, 
I wrote the book that I needed. I felt like I went on this healing journey, you know, healing my trauma, forgiving people and, and, and just finding myself. And so I reached this point where I was curious about what self-love was, you know. So just went, spent about a year and a half writing it, writing it. That book was for me, you know, that book was honestly for me. Yeah. I, and I find for a lot of people, that is our work. It's what we end up doing. Like we write the book we need to read or we, we teach the message we need to hear. So I, I know you've not too recently, but you've had a big shift into fatherhood. Would you, would you mind sharing, especially for the men in here who are kind of struggling with the, the balance between creativity, entrepreneurship, and then even I know you're a dedicated athlete, like discipline, staying in shape, but also the fact that you have a toddler. Would you mind sharing what, what that journey's done from, for you and what have some of the challenges been and how have you worked through them? It's a big question. We like big questions here. It's probably the hardest thing that I've had to do in my life is to figure out how to wear multiple hats. Mm. How to show up as how to show up as dad when I'm working at home and I have a call that I need to be on. I have things that I need to do, how to have those boundaries. Like, okay, baby, I see you, I acknowledge you, but it's not your time, you know, without sounding dismissive or like an asshole. Right. That's that's been tough. It's been very tough. Feel like I've done the best that I could. Um, as well as like, okay, I don't have to get my business off the ground, but I want my business to go to the next level. So how do I get it to the next level? Right. How do I you're not starting out right now? Right. Yeah. Right. And and going to the next level is harder to me than starting, you know, because mm-hmm. when you're starting, there's really no fear. You're just like, all right, let's just see what happens. When you have something established and you're like, hey, I want to take it to the next level. There's always that fear of like, well, if I make the wrong errors, something could crumble. Right. You know, and then trying to balance the gym. So here's what I figured out. Every week I do a schedule. And every week my schedule is pretty much the same. But there is a the way I like to do it is I always put my fitness first, meaning I train in the, in the gym three days. I do push pull legs. Okay. So typically that's Monday, Wednesday, Friday. If for some reason I'm traveling, I may just do it back to back to back, like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Another thing that I need is I need yoga at least once or twice a week. I can usually get one on my own, but and I typically like to go to hot yoga. I like to do half the yoga. It's more of a restorative, slower. Uh, there's a lot of stability involved and I really like that and so I build my week around my fitness Mm. and then as far as like when my workday starts I would love to tell you I was one of those guys that gets up starts working at 7 a.m 9 a.m and just work till 6 7 I'm just not built like that like I don't really care about work until I've invested in myself and I think that's just from years of growing up with my dad who he would make us get up and go for a three-mile walk before school it would make me run, you know, just training in the morning for sports. You know, you'd be getting up at four or five, six in the morning to train. So I've just got in a good habit of like, when I wake up, it's about me. Can't jump to the business first. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, when I first started for business, you jump right to the business because right. of your scarcity mindset. Right. But when you get out of scarcity mindset, you realize you don't have to necessarily jump to it right away. So I would say for anybody listening, it's really about your priorities. And for me, I'm a guy who buried my dad. He was 51 and had almost no gray hair. Wow. I feel like he, and I know that the information has changed, but I feel like he didn't take care of himself to the best that he could have. Right. 
And so I look at that and I'm like, okay, I got a kid now. I for sure don't want him to say, oh, my dad died when I was 51. Right. You know, so so therefore my priority is taking care of myself. Mm. You know, if I if I have meetings or work meetings and I don't have food in my house, so I don't like I'll pause things. I'll say, hey, guys, I got to run to the store. I got to get the food that I need. Mm-hmm. You know, like my wellness is my number one priority. My business mm-hmm. comes second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's pretty much how I balance it. As far as my relationship with my son, his mom. The relationship I have with myself is the most important relationship. Mm-hmm. Those relationships come second. Say, say more about that because I think that's that's often a challenge point for a lot of like in the culture. It's like men are here to provide, we're here to protect, like, we're here to serve those, especially our families. So I, I think I agree with you, but I'd love for you just to speak a bit more on that and how did you yeah. make that decision? Yeah. Oh man, you you have big questions, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking around here, Sly. <laughs> You're not playing around. They got some construction going on out here. They're they're in the streets. Yeah, man. So by my nature, I'm a I'm a lover, I'm a giver, I'm a provider. It's just who I am, man. If I got ten dollars and we go to the store, you got five. You know, that's just the type of dude I am. If I have if I got a a sandwich for lunch and you don't have any, you got you got half of it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just who I am. And um you know, the consequence of being a giver is you need to have, you need to have things to give, right? Yeah. You know, and uh, I remember when I was a kid, I would always ask my dad for stuff like, can you get me these shoes? Can you get me this chocolate? Can you get me this shirt? Can you take me to Mexico? You know, just, just how kids do. And I'll never forget, my dad never shared his Oreos. And I used to love Oreos. I used every time, my dad, can I get some of your cookies? And he used to get pissed. He used to get so mad. He'd be like, no, you can't have my cookies. Go get your own. Mm. But dad, I'm, you know, I'm a kid. I'm in school. Right. Like, it's your job to get me some cookies. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and he'd always say, he will always say, God bless the child who has his own. Mm. He would say that to me every, every time I would ask for something. God, God bless a child who has his own? Who has his own. Wow. God bless a child who has his own. I, this is my, the, my number one saying that my dad would say to me. Mm. My dad, can I do it? God bless a child who has his own. And the message that he was trying to tell me was to figure out how to, how to get stuff done so you can get what you want. Because there's abundance available. Uh. So when I say that I come first, I mean that. Like I have to come first because my nature is to protect, is to give. If somebody breaks into my house, God forbid that ever happens, I'm the one that has to get up. I, my girl knows how to shoot too. But I'm the one that has to get up and grab the things to be like, who's in here? Right. And it's not because I expect her to. No, no. I do expect her to. Everybody got to go. We're eliminating everybody who comes in the house. Right. But if my son needs to eat, which he eats a lot, yeah. I'm getting up. I'm getting up. I'm getting mm-hmm. money. I'm mm-hmm. getting paid. I'm mm-hmm. It's funny because everybody's. I was, I was listening to this. Uh, I was listening to this story, and this guy was saying, "You know, my kids drive Mercedes and they drive Lexus, and I didn't have that." I think that that's interesting. Mm. I think it's interesting because 
My parents had just enough. We didn't have extra. My parents had just enough. And so the consequence of having just enough and sometimes not enough is you want, you're like, no, I want this. I want to have a certain mm-hmm. amount of money. I want to have a certain amount of this, a certain amount of that. So now I'm, I'm that. I'm the kid that now I drive a Lexus. I now have investment accounts and I have money coming in. I have a business. And so now I'm looking at my kid and I'm like, wow, he's not going to know any of this suffering that I experienced. Mm. You know, with my, like when I had to get a freaking yearbook from my football coach. Right. Like he's not going to know that. So by putting my mindset first, by putting my effort first, by putting my life first, what I realized is now I get to put him in a position where he can struggle safely. Wow. That's big, man. Yeah. He's got to work, man. He's got to work. But it's like when you know you have support, you mm-hmm. have encouragement, it makes it easier. Yeah, it's just a different paradigm, right? You and I grew up in the athletic world where like, the most abusive people in my life were coaches. And everybody would be like, they should be. They should be screaming at you and cussing at you and being physical with you and, and yelling at you. And, and I think the shift has been away from that. And I, I imagine that the shift is overdue because we kind of grew up with the heavy hand of um, just a different idea, right? Of uh, yeah. Like if you support, if you support someone, you're coddling them. And and so good for you also for sh- shifting out of that paradigm and giving your son a different way of being. Cause I agree with you. It's, it's a curiosity to like, imagine what our lives may have been. If, if more people, you know, I get it. You gotta, you gotta have discipline. You gotta be pushed. You gotta get, and, and life's going to knock you down anyway, but especially to have men in our lives who are saying, Hey, here's the deal. Life's going to test you. It's going to kick your ass. It's, it's inevitable. But it, this is a safe place for you to come back to. This is a safe environment for you to grow up in even. I just think what he'll do. Sly, what's one of the unintended positives of having a kid through all of this? Like something that, Man, that, you, I, didn't, that you didn't think about in the beginning. Of course, you're like, oh, I love this little guy. He does all this awesome shit. But like something that like you couldn't have planned that's still a positive. Man, he helped, he helped, he's healing my childhood. Hmm. Detail of my childhood, like this morning. So yeah, I'll give you the detail. I had a credit card payment go through. It was an automated pay- payment, but I didn't want the whole thing to go through. I wanted two hundred bucks to go through, and it was one thousand two hundred dollars that went through. So when I woke up and there was an extra thousand dollars out of my account, I was like, "What the hell? How did this happen?" So uh, <laughs> I immediately started my day on the phone with the credit card company to see if they could put a stop payment on, and. He like just runs in in the little office here. And he's like, "Daddy's office, Daddy on a call." You know, mm-hmm. and he's like learning how to talk. Mm-hmm. It's just the cutest thing, man. Just to see yeah. this dude who couldn't hold his neck up just right. a year ago, two years ago, and now he's coming in here saying that I'm on a call because he sees me on the phone and just his recognition of the world. Daddy's office, Daddy's on a call. Uh, it's like oh man it's just it, it just heals your childhood because it takes you back to you being a kid you know mm-hmm. you didn't get to experience like you experience it but you don't remember yourself being you know one two three four sure. maybe you do around five or six and so to see him in this space is just like wow like i went through that too like i was okay. how he was and it just it, it's reminded me to be more playful you know to mm-hmm. be more curious to be more random it's really healed my childhood a lot you oh, know, so man. another thing that's really taught me 
it's actually taught me how to regulate my nervous system even more than before. Because now, like, if I get into a fight, there's a real consequence now. Like, if I get arrested, there's a real consequence now. Right. Like, if I don't come home, there's a real consequence. Right. So now, when I'm out in public or when I'm out dealing with people, I, I really regulate myself even more than I was before. Because now my life is bigger than just me. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Any last bit of advice you'd give to a father out there who's sitting down and be like, I want to write a book. I want to start the thing. I'm not sure I want to stay in this, in this situation. Anything you'd tell him? Yeah, I would say that imposter syndrome is okay. You know, it's okay to feel like, well, who am I to, you know, Stephen King has 70,000 books. And right. Yeah, I mean that that's okay. It's okay to have imposter syndrome. It's okay to feel like, man, I don't I don't have enough. That's okay. You know, I would just ask you to ask, you know, what do you need? Write the book for yourself. You know, don't worry about the public. Write the book that you want to read. Or maybe you need to write the book that your kid wants to read or will need to read. You know, so my ninth book, that was for me. My yeah. tenth book, I'm writing it for him. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe just make it make it bigger than you. Make it bigger than your moment. Make it about something that your legacy, your family legacy, Mm. you know. Beautiful. I think we'll leave it there, Sly. Anybody who wants to follow you, get a hold of your books, hire you. I know you do coaching and you help men with stuff like this. Where are you hanging out? Where can people find you? Where can people get more Sylvester McNutt? Yeah, man. If you see me in Arizona, for sure, pull up, say hello, be nice, be kind. Uh, <laughs> if you find me on the internet, you can go to SylvesterMcNutt.net and that will source you to, you know, my YouTube, my podcast, my one-on-one coaching, just everything that I'm doing. Awesome. Really appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you so much for sharing just so openly and also for being a big part of my life. I appreciate you, appreciate what you're doing and appreciate getting a bird's eye view of what parenting is every week when you come in and go, I got my ass kicked this week by a toddler. <laughs> Thank Love you, brother. Man. Just, yeah, man. It's a blessing, bro. Appreciate you. Thank you, sir. I'll chat with you soon. This is Traver Bohm signing off on another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please give us a share. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you're interested in getting a hold of my book, Man Uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading.